I'm Mike Vardy, and welcome to A Productive Conversation. You might have noticed that the introduction to this episode, if you're a longtime subscriber, was a little different. The guest did not introduce themselves, and that's because this is an episode from The Vault. It's at this time of year where I think that we could all use a bit of help when it comes to awareness. As this episode is airing, it is the end of January 2022, but really the ability to notice things is something that we should be nurturing throughout the year. But I know that as the year gets underway and resolutions fall by the wayside and the pace of time starts to speed up a bit, that taking that time to foster awareness or pay attention or give notice to things starts to wane and and waver. So this episode is being delivered to you as a reminder about how the art of noticing can really help you be more productive. And so I'm spending time having a conversation with Rob Walker on this episode. He wrote the book, The Art of Noticing. And I just wanted to share this conversation with you as a reminder that amongst all the hustle and bustle that goes on at any time of year, you should always take time to notice things. And when you do, you might be surprised what you find. Here's my conversation with Rob Walker. Right out of the gate, I want to share with those listening how I came to notice you. And it was through Austin Cleon's newsletter. He's been on the show before. I'll link to his episode in the show notes. And there's very few newsletters that I subscribe to nowadays, mainly trying to keep my inbox kind of clear. And when he recommended that I take a look at your newsletter, it was about, I guess, about six months ago now when you're just revamping it. And the title, like the term noticing was what stuck out to me right away. Because I'm a big fan of awareness. I think awareness is one of the big building blocks of personal productivity and time management. But what role does noticing play in that whole scheme of awareness and clarity? Can you kind of dig into that? And then we'll dig into why the book, which we're holding on to here, The Art of Noticing, 130 Ways to Spark Creativity, Find Inspiration and Discover Joy in the Everyday, where that plays in. But how do you define noticing and how does it play a role in how we craft our lives? Well, I guess what got me attracted to this as a subject I don't have to probably do a big effort to convince you that we're kind of in a time of distraction where people want your attention all the time. You've probably heard that before. Yep. And I was interested in that, concerned about that, just like everybody else, and trying to think about what can really realistically be done about it, thinking about it in terms of my own career as a journalist and a person who's just trying to maintain control over my attention and kind of worried about how much of my life is dominated by other people stealing my attention, right? So the basic building block of controlling your own attention in some way is noticing, is sort of tuning into what I want to tune into as opposed to what you or someone else wants me to tune into. And then the more I thought about that, the more I thought about how it relates to creativity and innovation and progress. I mean, nothing really happens until you notice something that other people missed. And so the other element of this is that I teach a little bit once a year at the School of Visual Arts in New York, a design program, and the class is called Point of View. And this became this message that I was really trying to get across to my students is that what the things that you notice that other people don't notice are always the beginning building block of what makes you have a distinct point of view and stand out as a creative person. One of the things that I think you got to do, you kind of mentioned this right out of the gate in the book. In fact, I'll quote it a little bit 
This book treats the art of understanding as something more profound than a step in the creative process. It's an escape from the cult of productivity and efficiency. <laughs> There's no pushback here, but I think that when you say that, I'm hopefully not putting words in your mouth, but I almost like the notion of what productivity and efficiency are, because I don't believe that productivity and efficiency are about speed and go, go, go fast, 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 now, now, now. I think it's almost like by spending some time noticing, you're almost redefining it, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that the relationship to productivity, obviously, there are thoughtful ways of approaching productivity and efficiency. And I'll bring up this example. One of the prompts in the book, because the book is built of a series of prompts and provocations and games and things like this. And one of them is change a routine. On the one hand, I'm talking about doing things that get you in the habit of noticing what others have missed. But at the same time, I'm trying to talk about breaking habits because we get into this, I'm sure you know a lot about. As you know, in productivity, there are a lot of emphases on heuristics and rituals and things that this is the efficient way to do it. So that's the way I always do it. Like, let's say how you get to work. You've probably figured out what your best commute is. And that's what you do every day. And that makes perfect sense. And I think most of the time, that's the right thing to do. But I also think that sometimes it's a good idea to not take the most efficient way to get somewhere, to not solve the problem the way that you've solved it a million times before, and to get yourself out of routines that, while they may not have the intent of just making a life go by fast, that's kind of what they do. The way that one of my friends put it is her sort of meditation practice, mindfulness practice is based on having more nows, having more moments that you're really in, as opposed to moments that you're moving through efficiently. That's kind of where I come down on it. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. The way you think about it? Okay. Yeah. And one of the things right near the tail end, you mentioned Mike Birbigli. I'm a big comedy fan. The idea Mm. of self-appointments, right? Like making appointments with oneself. Again, these are, to me, it makes total sense to do that, right? But a lot of people, it's not something that they, quote, pay attention to or even notice. It seems rather unconventional. And I think a lot of what you're talking about in here through the book, and there's lots of prompts. And I know you rate them in terms of levels of difficulty to a certain degree. But I think when it comes to this kind of stuff, people are so used to the way that they go about living that they don't take time and slow down or even just have the wherewithal to go, oh, this actually could work. This makes sense. Noticing seems to be the backbone of all this stuff. Yeah. And I think the backbone of curiosity, too, when I think about the way some people react to the prompts to a little bit, you know, aren't these sort of strange (laughs) In some ways, I think it helps to think of them as childlike. There's one in the book about just spot the weirdest thing possible at a Walmart or something along those lines. These kind of grinding moments in your life that you have to go through, how can you kind of gamify them and make them these moments of potential awakening? The inspiration there is often children. Children do this all the time. Everything's a game to a kid. And I think that there's a lot that we can learn from that and regaining that sense of childlike wonder and curiosity in an authentic way helps, I guess I can't say that it helps you be more productive, but I do think it helps you be more effective in almost any kind of profession. Well, and I think, again, back to what we're talking about, about productive, what is productive, really? Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I think this cult of productivity, again, studying this for the better part of a decade now, you end up realizing that productivity is there's what people define as productivity on the whole, like getting as much done as possible and using every ounce of your time to that end versus, but what if you end up doing the wrong things, right? And I think noticing helps with that, right? Right. I had an interesting conversation once with somebody who I would characterize as a productivity expert in the more traditional sense that you just described. Mm -hmm. And 
I asked him like, well, so if you visit Cincinnati or just some random place, do you have any rituals to like get to know that place or whatever? I was just fishing around for stuff I could use in this book. And he said, oh, well, if I'm in a place, something like Cincinnati and I have downtime, I work in my hotel room. I don't go anywhere because I don't care about Cincinnati. Well, that's really sad. (laughs) And I hope I'm never that efficient because I think that you can't know what you're missing if you literally don't try to notice anything, right? If you don't throw yourself into some situations now and then and treat your extra hour in even a place you didn't want to be. Like that's the place to try the hardest to say like, well, what can I make of being in this place? What opportunity might be here? What can I discover that I didn't know? I think in a weird way that is productive. Mm-hmm. More productive than just like, well, I'll just spend an hour in my hotel answering email. It just made me sad. What led you to spend so much time looking at this? <laughs> no yeah. it, I guess. But exploring this, it's the, I mean, I know human beings are naturally curious and there's an exploration component to it. We are natural explorers, but to dedicate, not just like, it seems like it's an interesting topic to kind of go into, but it's also one that seems like it could be never ending in a manner of speaking. Yeah. yeah. It was partly on my, that this general subject was on my mind because of, for the sort of cultural reasons that we talked about at the top and mm-hmm. then the teaching this class and dealing with students and trying to help them. And I thought like, this is an interesting, so, so this goes back four or five years now. And I thought like, this is an interesting subject, this kind of war for our attention. And I originally thought, I'll write a traditional nonfiction book, which I've done before, an idea book that sort of takes a deep dive into the culture of this war for our attention and so on and so forth. And then at the end of that book, the last chapter will be like 10 ideas for things you can do to fight back on your day to day. And I noodled around with that for two or three years making very little progress until I finally realized, like, I don't want to write the first 300 pages of this. I just want to write the last 20. (laughs) I want that to be the book. I want to just do the part where it's like, here's a bunch of fun ideas for things you can do to notice better, to engage in the world better and to break out of your routine and to learn to use your five senses and all of those things, all the things you can do. Because all the advice just boils down to digital detox, throw away your phone. No one's throwing away their phone. Like, that's not going to happen. What can you give them that's like, this is a fun thing to do that you can work into your day to day? And I became entranced with that. And as you say correctly, I do think it's never ending. Hence the newsletter, which is sort of more ideas that I couldn't fit in the book or that have come up since I turned it in. So basically, you're like the Jerry Maguire of noticing. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. no, I don't, I don't think it's that at all. Because people are like, tell me it's something that you know. It's not about like, I'm not Columbo or something. Like right. That about my superpowers as an individual, except maybe the superpower that I am. Boredom is quite a, kind of an interesting subject to me. And I am rarely bored. And I rarely resort to my phone. And I do see things like, oh, I'm stuck in line at the airport as, well, here's an opportunity to study other people. You know, what a great free fun bonus. Now, you can't live your life that way completely. <laughs> right. Though I do have to get stuff done. I have deadlines and all that. But I do have a kind of worldview that is such that it's not about your skill at noticing, uh, more the habit of noticing that just sort of forces you to see differently and to see things that you weren't looking for. And to be in a mindset that's not like, right now as a culture, we're so hardwired to, to it's so important to be paying attention to what everyone else is paying attention to, right? 
that's the fear of missing out and the trending topics. And, you know, I check Twitter every day and it's like, ah, oh, these YouTube stars are getting married. That's trending. Now I know that. <laughs> Just like everybody else. What am I going to do with that? Like, I, I would be better off if I were reading an 18th century novel and having an insight about one of the characters that led to some uh, indirect, you know, uh, creative path on something that, because no one else was reading that novel. It's competitive advantage. Well, the other thing, though, is that you could notice the YouTube stars getting married and notice something within that that you could then discuss or yeah. write about. And then I kind of look at it that as someone who studied comedy, like Jerry Seinfeld, the movie Comedian, where he one of the things he said about how comedians kind of think is like they'll go into an airplane bathroom and the average person will see like the razor disposal unit and go, oh, well, that's clearly there because they forgot to right. take off the blade. Whereas the comedian is going, who's shaving so much that they're going through right. blades on their plane, right? I know that. The Wolfman, right? Yeah, <laughs> but it's perspective, right? I mean, yeah. I guess it's how you internalize this stuff. I actually mentioned Seinfeld in passing because he's the master. If you're a study comedy, you know that a lot of comedy boils down to noticing something in the everyday. Hmm. Like I would say most people didn't even notice that razor disposal thing glazed over because why would they look at that? It starts with being attuned to the world and being present in the world in a way that other people just aren't. And Seinfeld, he's the king of it. He is the master of turning the mundane into value, in his case, in the form of humor. He's absolutely unparalleled at it. Well, he created a show about nothing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you mentioned attunement. A therapist brought it up, the idea of attunement being like bringing into harmony. He's just like alignment. Those two words, I only bring this up again because I noticed this kind of stuff too. I'm more of a word guy. Well, you're a journalist, so you're a writer. You yeah. get this. People go, oh, I want to be more aligned. I want more alignment. If you were to look at those two words. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, like if you were to look at those two words, which one would you rather be in alignment or more attuned or both? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I think attunement is a really interesting distinction, but I'm more attracted to the idea of attunement, I think. Starting an online business or expanding your physical storefront online has never been easier thanks to Shopify. This global commerce platform supports you at every stage of your business journey. From launching your online shop to managing a million orders, Shopify is there to simplify and accelerate your growth. It's not just about selling products. So Shopify helps you manage every aspect of your business with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. But that's not all. Shopify helps you convert visitors into customers with the best converting checkout process on the internet, which performs up to 36% better than other platforms. And now a special offer for my listeners. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale up, Shopify is the perfect partner for your business. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now, you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, we've been talking about this 
for several minutes now. The word time hasn't come up at all. Attention has. Have you noticed over the past, again, through your work, that the idea of time management or just how to craft one's time, there's a shift happening where people are more concerned about, like, say, how they manage their energy or how they manage their attention or how they manage their to-do list or whatever. Like time seems to be taking, I wouldn't say a back seat, but people are breaking it down or parsing it down to smaller chunks that they can actually have a measure of control over because you can have control over your attention, but time moves on whether you want it to or not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that the way that I process the way that other people are thinking about time is I feel that there is kind of an overlap in that it's this loss of attention in some ways amounts to a loss of time, right? Like all of a sudden I lost X number of minutes to catching up on Instagram or whatever it is. And so people respond to that by, yeah, you can sort of break your day down into these discrete units, which I think can be fine for people. And I guess on some level, I say in the book, like just imagine spending one hour a week dedicated to making sure that you're controlling your attention and directing it where you want it to go and not where anyone else wants it to go. But I think that there's an interrelationship between those things, between time and attention. And that's, you know, I was saying earlier, my friend who wants to have more nows, she's getting at the idea of meaningful time versus time flying by and filling time. And it's complicated, but you know that the relationship between productivity and time is it's complicated. There's almost a quantitative and qualitative and you've got to, again, that attunement, right? Like figuring out where, you know, because in some instances, yeah, time really does matter more than attention in, in certain situations, especially depending on what you're doing who you're beholden to and things like that. But attention is that thing that we can control. And so is like noticing, like, why is this book important right now? Other than the fact that we live in the world that you mentioned that we have a lot of distractions that are going on, which yes, absolutely, I know a lot about. But why is this book matter? Why did you write the book now? And again, there's this never ending quality to noticing. What do you hope people get out of the book that will allow them to kind of keep noticing or spend more of their attention in that space of noticing than maybe they have? Well, we've touched on some of these things, but I think that there is this sort of panic about our attention being under assault. There is this kind of panic about, am I being productive enough? And there is this kind of obsession with making sure you know what everyone else is talking about, right? Those three things together end up in a kind of sort of almost tunnel vision thing that it creates where I just think that it traps people in a situation where they're unlikely to be innovative. They're unlikely to think of something that's different and new. They're unlikely to tune into the world in a way that others haven't tuned into it. And so what I'm trying to accomplish is, as I said earlier, I think these more draconian solutions of going on a digital detox, while interesting, are maybe over-demonizing technology and also maybe not realistic. I mean, a lot of us can't, I can't just take a month off. I can't. But I can give myself permission to take a little bit of time now and then and to feel good about it and to feel like, oh, spotting the weirdest thing at Walmart isn't a stupid waste of time. But getting me in this habit of tuning into the world in a way that's idiosyncratic, outsider-ish, and more likely to lead to insight. Not that spotting the weirdest thing at Walmart will immediately turn into insight, but it's building that habit. It's building the habit and feeling good about it and feeling like approaching the world with a childlike sense of wonder from time to time is not only okay, it's kind of cool. And it's probably necessary if you want to ultimately stand out because ultimately 
every profession comes down to being about breaking out of the pack, right? We're obsessed with being in the pack sometimes, but you don't really succeed until you break out of the pack and you're doing something that no one else is doing. How many other ways that you came up with did not make it into the book? 131 <laughs> seems like a pretty... Yeah, I, not, I noticed that's a pretty arbitrary number. <laughs> yeah, so the number... There were definitely more. I don't know, there were 30 or 40 more probably. And we settled on this number in a funny way because we did talk about, should it be 100? Should it be 101? And we kind of settled on the Cosmopolitan Magazine theory of just like an unusual number is actually kind of attention getting. And it also felt like we did happen to feel good about this batch. Like it was the right balance, the right mix. But yeah, there were some on the cutting room floor, plenty. And eventually all of those I'll use in the newsletter. I haven't been using them in the newsletter yet, but once the book is actually out, I'll be addressing this. Again, you, got, you got a year's worth of additional yeah, probably, ones. probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you've already started to craft the content for that. If people are going to pick up this book, which they will, again, link in the show notes, it's not the type of book where you have to go through it all in one sitting. There's the, the opening, which I, I strongly recommend right. you go through, but then you can kind of pick and choose and cherry pick. I'm going to ask you two questions. Which of the 131 stands out to you as like, the, okay, this is the perfect gateway. And then secondly, which is the one that stands out in your head or that you can remember that's the most unconventional? The Walmart one keeps coming up, but is there another one that you can think of? <laughs> okay. So first of all, thanks for picking up on the idea that we did design the book explicitly in a way that you can flip around, you can read it in any order you want. There is a logic to the order if you want to read it in order. But I realized that this was kind of a, in a funny way, this was a concession to people's limited attention spans. <laughs> we just acknowledge that if you just want to flip around, flip around. But I do start with what I consider the gateway one, which is sort of the single object scavenger hunt, which it's very easy to do. And it relates directly to the genesis story of the book in some ways, which is just one time I was on a trip in San Francisco, a city I know fairly well. I wasn't going to have a lot of time to do any real sightseeing. I was also kind of over the, like, I'm no longer dazzled by San Francisco architecture, although it is dazzling and beautiful. It's a great place. I want to give myself an assignment to like look for one thing everywhere I go. And it, my only parameter is it has to be something that no one wants me to look for. And so I chose security cameras. And it ended up being this, as I talk about in the book, this really enlightening experience of like, it made me look at the city in a different way. And it made me think about surveillance technology in a different way and so on. So I recommend that as a gateway because you can pick any one thing, like it can be a certain kind of number or a typography or a certain kind of window or architectural detail, or it can be neighborhood watch sign or just, you know, some odd thing it starts to get you into that habit and you have fun with it and you notice things and it just shifts your perspective. The weirdest ones, it's a good question. A lot of them are inspired by artists and writers. And I'll pick one that came directly from a Hemingway challenge, which is everything with Hemingway is a challenge. Like he's so macho. He sort of brags that like, if you're someone like me, you walk into a room and you walk out and you can remember every detail of it. But you should also remember how it made you feel. And you should be able to describe that feeling and identify everything in that room that contributed to that feeling. So I turned this into an exercise called Hunt for a Feeling. So that's like pretty advanced, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's fascinating to think about. And especially if you're in a moment, what it happens in real life is that you're in a moment when you're in a place and like, oh, wow, I, I do feel uneasy or I feel really good. 
to stop and examine that moment and listen, smell the air, look around. Is it the people? Is it the architecture? Is it what's going on here? So that's a little bit out there, but pretty fun. And Hemingway was a pretty good noticer. I was hoping you're going to say, just get drunk and then later <laughs> try to... Re- you have the hangover thing in there, though. So yeah. that's very hemingway yeah. Now people are like, what's the hangover? You got to pick up the book. Last question. And I think this is definitely relating to the idea of noticing, because it's something I do and it's something I recommend people do as a productivity practice seems rather either unconventional or undervalued. Do you journal? And if so, how? Well, in a way I do. I have this project that's been going on for many years. I've never talked about publicly. I'm a big obituary reader. (laughs) This is like, where is he going with this? I'm a big obituary reader. And I have for years and years, decades, 25 years now, I think, kept a kind of journal noting the deaths of notable people that had some kind of meaning to me and where I heard about it and how I heard about it and what that person... And it could be like just recently, sitcom actress who was on Mary Tyler Moore show playing the character Georgette passed away. So I recorded thoughts about that. Into that, I incorporate some things about what's going on in my life right now. And it's a little bit of life and death situation. This is probably like the weirdest answer you've ever had to this question, (laughs) but it's true. That's this to the extent that I journal, that's what I do. I use that as a prompt to like make myself. And that's the reason I do it in some ways is that I've tried many kinds of journaling things and they peter out after a week or two. I just don't have the discipline for it. But this one, because I want to record, oh, I do have some thoughts about that. And it makes me think about my childhood and watching that show with my parents and things like that. And then I can relate that to what's going on in my life right now. If for whatever reason, it's been a useful prompt for me. Well, it's mortality too. It's an exercise in mortality, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's relation to time. Like it just shows you that you don't know. I mean, Lou Perry died not too long ago, right? That's somebody that you're like, holy crow, I'm that. I had a long entry on that I one. bet. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I've had conversations with friends recently. Like we've got some friends that are getting married for the first time or the second time. I'm at 45. We're at an age where we're leaving the realm of going to more weddings and seeing births of people and heading more towards the realm of, oh, wow, these people are passing away and attending funerals. So it's really interesting. So I definitely get the prompting is important, too. I think that whatever you can use as a prompt, I'm imagining, too, because of the way that you spend time noticing that there's other journaling that you wouldn't really consider journaling more chronicling than anything else. Yes. I also carry a traditional, just a notebook that I put ideas in and observations on a more random, but it's just not very disciplined. Right. Right. It's Uh, just kind of as you notice things, I would imagine. Yeah. And in a funny way, I guess this newsletter, now that it's kind of become a different animal because of the book, like I am doing it more regularly. And that becomes a place where you're chronicling things you've noticed or things that people have said to me or whatnot, which becomes a kind of form of public journal, I guess, in a way that blogs and Twitter and so on can be. But I've in recent years, this newsletter is scratching that itch more than anything else that I do online. Well, this book that I'm holding in my hands will definitely scratch the itch for those who want to spend more time noticing and getting behind the art of noticing. And that's the name of the book, The Art of Noticing, 131 Ways to Spark Creativity, Find Inspiration and Discover Joy in the Everyday. 
you can pick up this book wherever books are sold, Amazon, your local bookstore, independent bookstore, you can pick it up there. Rob, where else can people find you? The newsletter, I'm guessing, is where you're going to send people. But where can people find you to keep up with your work so they can notice more of what you do? Oh, I have a site, robwalker.net, which if you go to robwalker.net slash noticing, that's where I'm kind of going to keep everything related to the whatever developments there are around this project. That will include a link to the newsletter. Sign up if you want to do that. On Twitter, I'm not Rob Walker, which always confuses people. But I am Rob Walker. It's at not Rob Walker. Twitter's good. Those are the best places, though. And robwalker.net slash noticing, there will always be the latest about anything related to this subject, talks and things like that and media stuff. So that's a good place to tune in. Awesome. Rob, thanks for joining me so much today on the Productivities Podcast. Well, listen, I can't thank you enough. I really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation I had with Rob Walker. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast before, hit the subscribe button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you are listening to this podcast. You can get the show notes for this episode as well at productivityist.com slash podcast 407. Next week, we're back live. And we're going to have a conversation with Thomas Anderson. He's the author of The Vulnerable Man, Break Your Patterns, Master Your Emotions, Reclaim Your Life. We have a great conversation. I can't wait to bring it to you. But you're going to have to wait another week to hear it because that's it for this week. Until next time, I'm Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation, reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.